Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. This morning, we are continuing in our series called Flourishing. Uh, it's a series on the Beatitudes of Jesus that comes out of the Sermon on the Mount, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, on Matthew chapter 5. And we've been going through the Beatitudes, and I just got a confession for you guys that up until this series, I had no idea what to do with the Beatitudes at all. I remember going to VBS as a little kid and memorizing the Beatitudes, and uh, they just kind of seemed like these complicated religious phrases in my mind that just really didn't quite make sense. And everyone just said that they were really, really important, but I couldn't like grasp my mind around them. And it seemed like to them that the meaning was self-evident, and no one took time to explain it to me. And so this passage, specifically of Scripture, like I've always kind of like boxed it off and said, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know if you guys have ever been there as well. I don't know if, if that's the way you've been around the Beatitudes. But I can say that around this passage and digging into it in this series, they have come alive to me in ways that I never would have imagined, in ways that I never could have hoped, in ways that are incredibly surprising and life-giving. And I just want to share a little bit of that with you guys. And so when we go through these Beatitudes, especially the ones that we've gone through so far, what I find is that Jesus is inviting us, and he is giving us permission to experience and feel things and be things that we have longed for, and in that, we get to experiencing flourishing. And so what, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that in Jesus saying flourishing are the poor in spirit, I believe that Jesus is giving us an invitation to say, hey, guess what? You don't have to be strong. You don't have to have it. You don't have to have all the answers all the time. And the thing is, is that when we can step into that permission and say, I, yeah, I am poor in spirit. I can't do this on my own. There's this phrase that says that God won't give you more than you can handle. And to that phrase, I say, no. No, life in and of itself is always more than I can handle. And Jesus has given it to me, but he's also given himself to me so that in my poor in spirit, I can turn and my strength can be found in him and I don't have to seek and do that on my own because when we try and act out our own strength and we try and be strong, we try and do this because this is what the world expects of me, like everything goes sideways. Everything goes sideways and we stumble and fail. And so that's why we can read this verse and say flourishing are those who realize that they have nothing to give spiritually in their own merit and that there is everything to gain through Jesus Christ, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The next thing that Jesus invites us in is to mourn. Jesus invites us to mourn. That we can actually stop and acknowledge the loss that we experience in our life. As Americans, as Westerners, we have a strong aversion to mourning. We hate it. We don't know what to do with it, right? We, we just try and like blanket over mourning whenever there's some type of, of, of event that, that happens that should actually cause mourning. Like we just, we don't know what to do. And the people around us don't know what to do. I mean, people come up to you if you're mourning and if you're at a loss, they're like, are you okay? And they're just hoping that the answer is yes. They're just hoping that you can stand back and be like, yep, 
Yep, I'm okay. Because if you can tell them that you're okay, and if they asked if you're okay, then like the social contract has like been fulfilled, and we're good, and we can move on, right? But the reality is, is like we're not okay. And this world is messy, and this world is broken, and there is hurt, and Jesus mourns for it, and Jesus invites us to step into mourning and loss with him. He gives us permission to engage in mourning. And there's some freedom there. There's some freedom there to be able to engage in that. And not only that, he invites us to mourn not only all that is wrong with the world, but also to mourn all that is wrong within us. All that's wrong within us that we act out in sin, all the wrong things that have happened to us that weren't our fault, that we have now taken on and carried, he invites us and gives us freedom to set those things down. It's a beautiful invitation. The, second, the third invitation that he gave us last week is to be meek. Not to be weak, but to be meek. So that we can stop trying to create an identity, a purpose, and significance in our lives, but that we can lay all of that down and we can say, everything that I received in this world is from God, and everything that I received that's from God is for God and for his purpose and for his kingdom, and that my significance, my purpose, <laughs> and my identity are not found in what I do, but it's found in Jesus. It's found that I am a son of God. I'm a son of a king and that he's given me things and he's given authority and power to me to go and then give that away to other people. There is freedom and there is invitation that Jesus is giving us. And there's a permission to acknowledge that all that I have is from God and that all that I have is for God. And this morning we're going to talk about what it is to be hungry, what it is to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and what it is to be hungry for the right things. And so this list of Beatitudes, they're not a list of moral requirements. They're not a, you must live up to this. You must satisfy these things. It's actually more of a description of Jesus inviting us to live into these things. And in living in these things, the blessings that come on the back end of it start to be recognized in our lives. And that's where we can say that flourishing are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Flourishing are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Flourishing are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This morning... We are going to look at flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Mm. Who here has ever been hungry? I mean, anybody? I, I'm hungry like all the time. I, I'm hungry right now, and I had breakfast, okay? Sunday mornings, I normally don't eat breakfast because there's too much nerves in my stomach for this that I'm about to do right now, but like, I just don't do it. But I ate breakfast. I ate a good breakfast this morning. I'm hungry right now. Like I could go for a donut or whatever. I mean, and anyone that's traveled with me, Shannon knows this. Shannon's traveled with me. Tracy knows this. She's traveled with me. <laughs> Jess knows this. Anyone that's traveled with me knows that I love to eat. I love it. Now, I'm not a foodie by any means. I'm kind of picky. But the food that I do eat, I enjoy, okay? I enjoy eating. I love being satisfied. And hunger, 
Like, hunger's the worst feeling ever, right? I mean, it's, it's morning, and then it's hunger, right? I mean, like, I don't want to mourn anything, and I don't want to be hungry. And dieting is the worst. A month ago, Rebecca and I, we did this whole 30 thing, and it's the third time that I've done it, and I know it's coming. But for two weeks, all you feel is the pain of hunger. And it does not matter how many veggie sticks you eat. It does not, you're just never satisfied. You're just never satisfied. And there's so much in that space where I'm just like, I just want to eat all the things. I just want to eat all the things. And so this morning, what Jesus is inviting us to is to be hungry. But to be hungry for the right things, to be hungry for righteousness. And when we hunger after the things that are around his righteousness, he says that he will satisfy them. He says, flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so a couple of important things that we need to cover this morning is that the first one is that we need to talk about righteousness. What is righteousness? The next thing that we're going to talk about is what does it mean to hunger and thirst for it? We're then going to also look at some ways that in our hungering and thirsting for righteousness that we come up short in our flesh, that we try and do this on our own in ways that that comes up short and how Jesus is inviting us back to himself to hunger and thirst for things his way so that we can actually be fulfilled in our hunger and thirsting, right? I mean, it's the worst when you're hungry and you're thirsty, you need a whole meal and you pay for it and you're still hungry, right? I mean, that's the worst. You're just like, I just spent $14 and I could eat some more. There's a couple of restaurants that I don't go to because that's the case, you know? You just stop going there, you know? And we need to stop going to some places where we try and find hunger, where we try to satisfy our hunger and thirst for righteousness, and it's just not paying out. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then finally, we're going to talk about how do we walk this out? What are some things that we can do when we leave this space that we can walk this out, this hungering and thirsting for righteousness? So the first thing is righteousness. What is it? What is this righteousness that Jesus talks about? Seems like a really big, hyper-spiritual church word, right? You know, And the word for righteousness in the Greek, is the same word as justice, okay? And so righteousness and justice, they're not just synonyms, but they're the same. They are the same word. And so you could say, those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. The thing is that we don't really like the idea of God's justice coming to the world. We like it because it means that things are going to be made right, but we also don't like it because we don't like that judgment and wrath and condemnation part right? But the judgment and the wrath, that is a part of God executing his justice. But to think about righteousness and to think about justice coming, we need to think about the idea that justice in this passage and in the passages in the Bible, when God talks about it, he's talking about making the world into the place as it ought in the way that he has created it for his glory and for his purposes. And so it's a return I just want to read this. I just want to read it because I, I wrote it better than when I just said it. But it is, for the world to be as it ought, as God intended it. Not as I've intended it, not as you've intended it, not as we've, as a collective body, have intended it, as we've gotten together and got our best and brightest ideas and said, this is what righteousness should be. It is where God's thoughts 
reign supreme. It is a return to where the world gets into alignment with Jesus and with God and towards his kingdom and his purpose. And the good news is, is that at the end of the story, it's going to happen. In Revelation, we know that the story ends where there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more crying, there's no more shame, and he's making all things new again. He's doing it. And Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he gives us a prayer that says, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is how we hunger and thirst for this righteousness. But the righteousness of God, the righteousness that we should hunger and thirst after, is the rule and authority and the dominion of God and Jesus here on earth, right here right now. That is what he's calling us to crave and to hunger and to live into, is are we craving the world to be as it is meant to be, as God intended Do we desire for God to rule as king? In the Old Testament, God led his people, and he was king of his people. And over time, his people went to God and said, we don't want you to be king anymore. We want our own king. Will you give us a king? And he's like, yep, I'll give you a king. All of these things are going to come because of this king, and we rebelled against him. And it didn't go well for us. But God was still there. He was present. And then he says, I am coming to restore all things. And through his son, Jesus comes as king of the earth. And so are we hungry for Jesus to be king? In a couple of weeks, at the end of November, it's kind of crazy that we're a couple weeks away from this, but there's a season in the church calendar called Advent. And it's a season that we prepare ourselves and expect Jesus to come. And the prayer inside Advent is this prayer of come, Lord Jesus, come. And when we look in the world, we need Jesus, right? Like there is a hunger for Jesus to come. There is a hunger for Jesus to come and make things right, to restore all things. And this is the prayer that the prophets had in the Old Testament, was that God would come and that he would make right all that was wrong. This hunger and thirsting for righteousness is nothing new. And it's something that exists within every human soul. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 2, it says that God created a yearning for him inside of the hearts of men. That God created a yearning in the hearts of men for him to rule and reign. The question is, is if we submit to that or not. And if we allow him to rule or reign or not, throughout history of the Bible, this righteousness has cried out through God's people. I mean, if you just go back to the beginning of the story, Cain kills Abel. Abel's dead. But there is a cry and a hungering for righteousness that comes out of Abel's blood. And it reaches the ears of God. Through Sarah and Abraham, there is a cry to have a son. And that cry reaches the ears of God. And God says, I have credited you righteousness because you have believed. And what did Abraham believe? That he would have a son. That God would come through on his promise. There's a cry throughout history of Israel when they're enslaved, saying, make this right. This isn't right. 
And God responds to that hunger and thirst for righteousness, and he satisfies it by setting them free. There's a cry inside of Hannah, who's barren, who's crying out to God that she would have a, a son. And God hears her cry, and he gives her a son. There's this cry and this hunger and thirst. And there's this cry and this hunger and thirst throughout the prophets that God would restore Israel. Because the temple has been destroyed, they've been put into slavery again, and they just want to be free. And so when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're part of a long cry of people that cry out to God. But the beautiful thing in this story is that the cry for righteousness and this hunger and thirst for righteousness throughout God's word, we see it constantly being fulfilled. It does not fall on deaf ears. It does not fall on a God who is distanced, but rather a God who is near, a God who cares, a God who sees, and a God who loves. And so we can cry out with confidence that God hears our prayer. And that in his time, that he is good, that he will bring satisfaction. And there will probably be a time of mourning. And there will probably be a time of longing. But our God is good. And at the end of the day, he says that he will do it. And that's good news. The problem is, is that around righteousness, when we think about the idea of righteousness and what it is to live a righteous life and to hunger and thirst for righteousness in our own lives, it gets a little tricky. A lot of times we think of what does it mean to live a righteous life? And we ask God this, and we ask God for a list of rules and a list of regulations. We're like, God, am I doing it right? God, am I living a righteous life? Am I checking the boxes? We like lists, and we like checks boxes, and we like scratching them off the list, right? But the thing is, like you and I know, we know that with the check boxes and the lists in our own lives, like we always go to bed, and that list is never done, and the boxes are never checked. But yet, when it comes to righteousness, for some reason with our God, we believe that the way that this works with God is some transaction that if he would just give us a list then we could accomplish the list in our own strength, and our own might, and that someday when we're standing in front of heaven, we can pull out our list to God and say, look, I did it. And Jesus is like, no, that's not the point. I don't want you to stand before me thinking that you can justify yourself before me. What I want is I want you to say, I did it. Jesus did it. And therefore, I'm justified. And Jesus tries to make this incredibly clear, right? Because he's teaching to the crowds and the Pharisees are there and he's teaching the crowds and he starts to explain the righteous life. He starts to explain what righteousness looks like. And Jesus isn't wrong when he describes this. He says that to live a righteous life, it looks like um, that when you get angry and you get angry at another person, and you wish that they just didn't exist anymore, if they would just leave or go away. Like, it's as if you murdered them. It's as if you murdered them. And he says that when you look at a man or a woman lustfully, and you hunger after them in that way, that you've committed adultery. And then he says, you know when you want to get even, when somebody does something awful and terrible to you, he's like, when you want to do that, he's like, what I want you to do actually is to turn the other cheek. He's like, when you want to get angry at your enemies and bomb them and remove them from this earth, he's like, you know what I really want you to do? You know what righteousness really looks like? It looks like 
praying for them. It looks like loving them. It looks like inviting them into your home and practicing hospitality. And it's through just that very short list we begin to realize, whoa, there is nothing righteous in me at all. And just in case if we didn't get it, Jesus ends this list and he says, you must be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. And that verse is just crushing. It's just crushing. It's crushing if you think you got to do it on your own, right? If you think that you got to be strong on your own, if you're looking to check the list, like that's a devastating blow to your ego, right? To be perfect as God is perfect. You're like, I can't do it. Jesus like, that's the point. That's the point. The thing is, is that when Jesus calls us to step into hungering and thirsting for righteousness, is that he's giving us an invitation to himself. He's giving us an invitation to become poor in spirit. He's saying, look, you don't have to do it all. I actually invite you to be poor in spirit. You don't have to have it all together. We can cry out in our spiritual poverty, Hosanna, Lord, save me, because that's what we need. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to mourn. It's to step into all of the ways that the world isn't that it should be, in the ways that it shouldn't be. It's to step into that and to acknowledge that. But it's also to admit that the world isn't the way that it ought to be because I am acting in the world in a way that continues to perpetuate the way that it ought not to be. That there are things in my heart that I act in ways that should not be. And I'm an active contributor to the mourning and the brokenness that's happening into this world. There's an invitation to that to mourn when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. There is an invitation as we hunger and thirst for righteousness to be meek. To instead of try and create our purpose and our significance and our value from all of our possessions and all that we could acquire and all of my gifts and talents and say, look at me and look at how sufficient and complete and put together I am, you can say, I don't have it all together. And whatever God has given me is a gift from him. So if he's given you good gifts, whatever those good gifts are, if it's organization, if it's speaking, if it's seeing people in ways that other people don't see them, if it's to be able to have (laughs) compassion and mercy, whatever it is that God has gifted you with, you say, thank you, Jesus, for that gift. You say, and how can I go and apply that for your kingdom's purpose? What's crazy about this hunger and thirst for righteousness is that we can take all of the Beatitudes before it and kind of stack them and say, when these things start to happen, we get to know that we're in the right spot of flourishing and that righteousness, that we're we're craving the righteousness of the right things in our world, that God would fulfill the things that are broken in our world, the things that are broken inside of me. Jesus has come to set us free. Later in the sermon, Jesus begins to talk about all the things in the world that cause us to worry. He's like, you're worried about food. You're worried about clothing. You're worried about where you're going to live. He's like, don't worry about those things. He's like, instead, seek first my righteousness, and then all of these other things will be added on to you, that I will take care of these things. If you seek first my righteousness, 
and the ways that you can walk into the world as it ought to be, as I have created it, if you do those things, if you step into that, if you begin to live into that, you will begin to flourish. I will begin to add these things of flourishing onto you. And you don't have to worry. And so he wants to set us free. And he wants to give us invitation to be poor, an invitation to mourn, an invitation to be meek, an invitation to be hungry. Because he wants to satisfy us. He wants to satisfy us. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to be hungry for me to be made right. It starts with me. It starts with you. Are you hungry for you to be made right? For Jesus, come save me. Come fix the brokenness that's inside me. It's for our relationships to be made right with one another. And it's for our world to be made right. It's for the longing that one day sin will no longer reign inside of me or inside of you. It's a longing for God's kingdom to come in my life, in my neighborhood, in this city, and in the world. And it's a starving. It's not even just a hunger, but it's a starving to become more like you, Jesus. It is a hunger and thirst in our soul that cries out, Lord, make me more like you. Because he is the one who is righteous. He is the one who can fulfill our soul. He is the embodiment of righteousness. The thing is that over time, what happens is that our hunger and thirst for righteousness We're hungry for the world to be made right. We have a hard time sometimes about the second part, as God intended it to be. There are a lot of ways that we want the world to be made right, but we want the world to be made right in our own eyes. And there's no doubt that the world needs fixing, right? I mean, just look at the headlines from this last week. Horrific, horrific events happened this week, from bombs being mailed out, to refugees fleeing violence, to a synagogue being shot up and innocent lives being lost. Like, come, Lord Jesus. And there is something inside all of us that looks at all of those situations. We're like, there is something broken here. But what happens is that in our observation of the brokenness, we then quickly turn into, how do we fix this? How do we fix this? How do we make this right? And we start planning and we start scheming and we start planning and scheming. We start asking the question is, how can I make this right in my mind? How can I make this right with my power and my strength and my authority? And we begin to miss how Jesus wants to come and make it right in the ways that he's always intended to do it. And this is where we get distracted. In our hunger and thirst for righteousness, there is a huge opportunity for us as the church to get distracted with policy, with politics, and with social justice. And it's tempting. It's tempting. I mean, there's an election coming up where we have two people kind of just duking it out all the way down the ticket who have presented to us their versions of righteousness and justice and how they're going to act that out. 
And what we are going to do on November 6th is we're going to go to the polling place and we're going to check the box and we're going to align ourselves to the person or party that we believe is going to execute our version of righteousness and justice the best and say we've done something. The problem is, is that no matter which side of the ticket you check, it is a far cry from the righteousness and justice that Jesus wants to bring to this world. It is a far cry. But we bring a lot of energy. We bring a lot of conversation. We bring a lot of just emotional energy and even time around these things that are not aimed towards the kingdom outcome of pursuing the righteousness that Jesus has sought to bring to our world. And I'm guilty. I am guilty of being distracted. And social justice, social justice is good. But social justice, it's like almost there. Because what social justice does is that social justice gets us the benefits of righteousness without having to bring Jesus along for the ride. We want justice. We want righteousness. We want to do something about that. So we do some things that line up around justice and righteousness, and we can all kind of nod and agree, yeah, that, those look like good things. And there's restoration, and there's kingdom things that come through. But if Jesus isn't there, I don't know if I want to be a part of it. If this isn't about getting people to know Jesus, to come to Jesus, because Jesus is righteousness. Are you with me? Jesus is righteousness, not the things that we do. Jesus himself is righteousness, and Jesus himself is the one who satisfies our need for righteousness. And we can get caught up in doing sometimes. This week, I had an amazing privilege to meet an amazing woman called, named Marlene Sorison. And she's a woman who is poor in spirit. She's a woman who mourns. She's a woman who's meek, and she is a woman who is hungry for righteousness, for the kingdom of God to come in. And the first thing when Shannon and I actually met with her, the first thing that she said when we sat down with her was that nothing that I have received, I asked for or pursued. But God has just given it to me, and I've had to respond in obedience to it. Marlene is doing some amazing work in our city. Most recently, God has shifted her eyes towards the realities and horrors of human trafficking that's happening inside of Madison. And her and her husband came together in, in, in an organization that she leads, and they said, we want to create a rescue house for women that have been trafficked inside of Madison. And they were going to build one house, and they were going to be able to reach three girls. And that's exciting, and that's good. But one day, the police, the Madison police called her up and she went down to the, to the police office, and they explained to her the horrors and the need around human trafficking in Madison. And they said, please help us. And she's like, well, you know that like, we're a Christian organization, right? You know that like, we're connected to the church. You know that we're about Jesus. They're like, we don't care. Help us. And she's like, did the church, did, the church, did they just invite the church the city of Madison invite the church to step into this place? Did that just happen? And so she stepped out of that police office, and the first thing that she felt from God and heard from God is that your vision's too small. 
And so what God has called her to do and her organization to do is to build a campus to help women who have been trafficked and rescued out of trafficking to be rehabilitated and to not just be rehabilitated, but to know Jesus. Like the way that she's designing this campus is that the kingdom of God would be made manifest and that they would experience Jesus, that they would know Jesus. And one of the most powerful things that she said in the meeting is that she's like, this isn't about social justice. She's like, this is about justice. This is about righteousness. This is about Jesus's righteousness. And she's like, in social justice, if Jesus isn't a part of it, I want nothing to do with it. And I didn't understand what that meant for a moment, but then she kept talking about how the kingdom of God and how this place is a place not even just for these women to like heal and a thing that make us feel good about our community, but it's a place where they can really be healed because they'll meet the healer. Where they can really be healed because they'll be brought into community with those who are filled with the Spirit. And that real justice will reign. And there I feel like I got a picture of what it might look like to actually hunger and thirst for some righteousness. Just a small picture. I hope that Marlene can come and share more of her story with us later. We're working on that, that she can come. She's an amazing woman, and you'd all be blessed to meet her. And so we we hope that that can happen. But I just wanted to let you know of just how powerful that picture is. And the reality is that I think that there is a difference between hungering and starving for righteousness. I know we've been talking about hungering all morning, and we've touched briefly on this idea of starving, but like when you hunger long enough, you enter into this place of starvation. And I think the reason why we get distracted with policies, politics, and social justice is because we're just hungry. And there's this incredible observation that was made around the story of the prodigal son. So the prodigal son, if you don't know, is this guy who goes up to his dad before his dad's dead, and he's like, Dad, I want your inheritance. I want my inheritance. I want it to be as if you died today, and I got to like cash in on the death benefit. I want that. Dad's like, okay, here you go, son. Here's your death benefit. Go wild. Kid goes wild, spends it on everything that he is hungering and thirsting for lust and greed and like you know what I'm talking about right like you know that there's a hungering and thirsting for righteousness but there's a hungering and thirsting for like a bunch of other stuff too right and we've got appetites and we've got desires and we go hunting for these things to be fulfilled and that's what this guy goes and does is he's hungry and he's thirsty and man does he have a feast until he runs out of cash and then he's in trouble And it's there in that place where he starts to get hungry. And so he gets himself a job, and he's working in the pinsty, and he's still not making enough to, like, eat. But he's still, so he's he's starting to get really hungry. And guess what he tries to do? He tries to eat the pig food. And sometimes when we get hungry, we are apt to eat whatever is in front of us. And sometimes I think the policies and the politics and the social justice is like, it's like the pigsty food. Like, it's sure, it, you can eat it, but it's probably not going to lead you to this place of flourishing. It's not until the guy is starving that he begins to hunger for the father. He begins to hunger for home. And it's from this place of starvation that he goes and he begins to step into 
what God has for him, this to satisfy him and to fulfill him. When I listen to Marlene's story, I think she's hungry when she wants to build one house. She is starving to build this campus, right? Because they need 20 acres and $5 million to come from God. She's like, we could have done one house. We could have afforded that. We could have ran that. We could have done that. She's like, we could have checked the box there. She's like, a campus of recovery. She's like, oh, Jesus has to be in it or it won't happen. And she's like, and that's exactly where I want to be. And I'm just like, that's exactly where I want to be too. I want to be starving for Jesus. So the question is this morning, are you starving for Jesus? Because it's only in Jesus that our hunger and thirst for righteousness can be satisfied. And that's a gut check to us this morning, church. That's a gut check because Jesus says that there's going to be a lot of people at the end of the day who come to him in heaven who have done a bunch of righteous things, cast out demons, prayed for people, (laughs) cared for people, did a bunch of righteous action and work. And he's going to say to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. And it's because we replaced our hunger for righteousness for the ultimate thing. And we said if we could just have our righteousness satisfied in our own ways, in our own imagination, then, then we would be fulfilled. But Jesus is like, no, that's not where I want you to be fulfilled. I want you to be fulfilled in me. I want you to feed off of me. I mean, there's a reason why in communion Jesus says, come, this is my body, take and eat. This is my blood that's poured out for you, take and drink. In communion, we have our hunger and thirst for Jesus satisfied, right? And it's not just because there's nothing magical happening, but it's a representation of Jesus wanting to step into that place and fulfill us in the ways that we should be fulfilled. And so if your hunger and thirst this morning isn't satisfied in Jesus, if Jesus isn't enough, what else are you putting your hope in? What else are you putting your hope in? And it's okay. You can confess those things. That's why we're here. Because I put my hope in a bunch of other things too. I do. God woke me up and was like, look, November 6th, date's going to come and pass. There's no hope in that day. I was like, oh, man. He's like, but there's hope here. There's hope in me. There's hope that I will fulfill you because I am righteous and I am good. The good news isn't that God has made us righteous through Jesus, although he has. He has made us righteous through him. That's the only way we can stand before God, but that's not the fullness of the good news. The fullness isn't... The fullness of the good news isn't that one day everything will be made well, although it will. The good news is that his spirit has come to live and abide in you and me, and that righteousness has come to live inside of you and me. And because righteousness is inside of you and me, we can listen to him, and we can listen to it, and we can actually walk out things that are righteous and things that bring real justice and real mercy and real transformation to the world right now in our own hearts, in our own communities, in our own cities and around the world. Because when people cry out for righteousness and justice throughout the Bible, it's not for someday, some other way, when Jesus finally makes it all right. It's like for right now. Like, you've got slaves crying out, saying, set me free. You've got women that are barren that say, give me a baby. You've got blood that's crying out that says, make this right. Righteousness is not always for somewhere else, someplace else, but it's right here, and it's right now, and it's available through Jesus Christ. 
And so we have to begin to ask Jesus to come in and transform us. And I think one of the ways that we can ask him to transform us is to ask this question of, what is in our life that we're hungering after that's not Jesus? What are we hungry about? Because we've got appetites. We have a hunger for Jesus, you know, and you could create the pie however you want. That's true for you. But, like, there are hungers for other things, for lust, for desires, for money, for value, for whatever it is that you hunger and thirst after in the meantime. And we can come to Jesus with those things, and we can confess them, we can lay them at his feet, and we can say, Jesus, change my desires. Jesus, change the way that I hunger. Change the way that I thirst. Make my desires like yours. And for you, maybe some of the things that you need to step into is a season of fasting. It's amazing how fasting will change your appetite. I worked at a camp, and at that camp for a week, I decided that I was going to be vegetarian, which also meant that I was going to eliminate all sugar and all treats and snacks, and I was just going to basically eat lettuce and vegetables. Like, I was going all out on this vegetable diet. And the first couple of days were there, I like went through withdrawal, right? I mean, it was, I was hungry. But by the end of the week, I was full. And what I thought wasn't enough was enough. And not only was I full, but somebody put a bowl of fresh lettuce in front of me and my mouth watered. <laughs> and if anyone knows me, my mouth does not water over salad. Right? I mean, like, if anyone knows me, I know that, like, salad is rabbit food, okay? Like, that, but, but in that moment, my appetite had changed, and it had grown, and I began to hunger and thirst for righteousness in a weird metaphorical way, okay? Jesus is calling us to that. So this morning, guys, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Are you hungry for Jesus? Are you hungry for the things that he is inviting you to, to true righteousness and to true justice as he wants to make the world as it ought to be in the ways that he has commanded it to be? In Isaiah chapter 55, it says this. It says, come and buy wine and milk without money or without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy Listen to me diligently. Listen to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me and hear that your soul might live, that I will make an everlasting covenant with you. And then in verse 6, he says this. He says, Seek the Lord where he might be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. This is what I'm talking about. Like, Let's get rid of those things inside ourselves because that's what hungering and thirsting after righteousness is about, right? It's not about out there, but it's about changing what's in here, right? It's about getting this right first. Too many times we get distracted with what's out there and he's saying, look, throw it off, come to me. It says, let him return to the Lord that he might have compassion on him and that our God, that he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the invitation from God to hunger and thirst for righteousness and to be satisfied. And so the question is, how do we step into that this week? How do we step into that this week? 
for a long season as the leadership of Damascus Road, we have been processing vision language. We've been processing and asking the question, what has God called us as a church, as a body, to go and do, to be about, to value, to lift up, to champion, to hold? And through that process and discernment, the kingdom of God has come to the forefront of all of that. That all that we want to do, all that we want to be, is around this theme of hungering and thirsting for true righteousness in our world, in our city, in our own person. And we've come up with kind of three different phrases that we want to submit to you guys, that we want you to, to respond to around how we can walk out this hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And so the first one is that as a church, we want to be a church that follows Jesus. So we, that's the word, follow Jesus. And that's the way that we can respond as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, because Jesus is our righteousness. We should hunger and thirst and long after him. And we want to be a church. We want to be a body that does that first and foremost, is that we would hunger after him and that we would follow him, that we would follow his lead, that we would hear God speak to us and that we would respond in faithfulness and that in hearing and responding, righteousness would come about, right? The prayer, the Advent prayer is, come Lord Jesus, come, because when Jesus comes, righteousness follows, amen? It's not, come let's make everything right and have a party, it's come, Lord Jesus, because when Jesus comes, everything gets made right. So we want to be a church that follows Jesus. The next thing that we want to be is a church that shares life, that shares life together, that Sunday morning isn't the only place where we gather together, but as we hunger and as we thirst for righteousness to happen inside of us and to happen inside our communities, is that we would come together throughout the week in communities, that we would share life together, that we would rub elbows together, and that we would grow in vulnerability with one another. Because when people get real, people get healed, okay? When we get real with one another, and we start talking about, and we start mourning, and we start confessing the way that we are poor in spirit with one another, and we begin sharing life together, and especially when that life is oriented around following Jesus, we are going to grow in the righteousness and the justice of the kingdom of God. It is going to happen in our communities, and it's going to break through as we share life together. So we're about following Jesus, sharing life together, and thirdly, love our neighbor. We want to love our neighbor because when it comes to mission and when it comes to reaching the world with justice and righteousness, it's not about a what and a lot of times we make things our mission about what. We want to support organization. We want to support causes. But Jesus invites us into relationship with our neighbors. Jesus says, love your neighbor. He says, pray for your enemy that is your neighbor. And so Jesus is inviting us into relationship with people that are in the world. Dan, when he comes up here and he's talking about before 16, he's inviting us into relationship to real people that live real lives, that have real hopes, that real dreams, that are really made in the image of God. When Sally comes up and she invites us to share in this workshop, she's inviting us to share in relationship with teachers and with community leaders and with our neighbors that don't look like us, that don't have a history like us, that we're just not aware of. And she's saying, come, share in that together. 
Let's love our neighbor and know each other's story. And when we do that, when we step into that, guess what? The righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus is going to be fulfilled. Amen? And that's who we want to be about at Damascus Road. That is our vision, is that we would follow Jesus, that we would share life together, and that we would love our neighbor. And so the question as we come to response and as we come to communion, where we feast on Jesus to be satisfied, where is he leading you to step into? Is he leading you to step in to follow him more? Is he leading you to share life more with others? Who is he in this room saying, you need to get together with this person and you need to just start being vulnerable and start praying together and allowing God to set you free and to set each other free? Where is he calling you to love your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Who has God put in relationship naturally already that needs righteousness and justice in their life today? And how can you begin to step into that? That's how I'm inviting you to respond this morning. Because those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. You guys pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for your kingdom. And God, we thank you that you bring the satisfaction to our hunger. And God, I thank you that in our hungering, you invite us to a place to be human. To a place where you can step in and where you can save. To where you can lead. And God, my prayer is that you would be in and through all that we do, individually, corporately, God, God, that we would stop being distracted, that we would stop being hungry for the things that are not of you. God, change our appetites this week. And God, may we grow in hunger and thirsting for you. And God, may we find ourselves fulfilled. Amen.